Anyway. <laughs> there is. Oh, no, it's not, it's not going in the podcast. I've already deleted it. <clears throat> anyway, we definitely have... We we have some really interesting conversations in past episodes of the podcast. There are some very and they almost always start the start the thing because we're usually just talking about nothing for a while when we start the podcast and and uh, there's some really fascinating ones that I'm like wow I don't know where that came from but whatever it's all a part of the fun right? How much like how soft of a sound can that catch? Um, actually, most of the time when you guys are talking, it doesn't really pick you up. Very okay. Well. I was just wondering. <laughs> I was like, some people can say some stuff on the but you don't hear. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I just, because I just use the microphone that's built into the, the thing, you know, it doesn't really pick up. It picks me up pretty well, but it doesn't pick you guys up very well. So. Make it pick me up. I'm pretty loud. I'm sure you could. And, you know, there have been other... Uh, master's commission students who I could hear very well. Um, but uh, they shall remain nameless. But uh, but most of the time, we can't hear you. Um, yeah, so anyway. Shall we pray? Did you have something you wanted to bring? Or are you just hanging out? You're, of course, welcome. Yeah. Okay. Oh, all right, let's go to the Father, and we'll open up the Word and see what's going on. Father, I thank you for um, our time away and uh, the celebration of your coming and of the new year. Lord, I just pray that as we embark on 2016, um, that we would draw near to you as near as we can, and that we would really listen. We would walk as you would have us walk. Lord, I pray for, as we open up your word today, that you would speak uh, loudly to us, that your word would um, be planted in our hearts, and that it would that it would germinate there, and it, there would be a harvest of righteousness for your namesake brought up out of us, because your word was planted in us. I thank you for this book. I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is trustworthy. Lord, I pray that your word would be planted and not mine. And I pray that your, the imperishable seed of your word would be planted and that I would not stand in the way of what you want to say today. Lord, you are always ready to talk to your kids. I know that. I just pray you would speak to each of us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start with verse 11. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Anybody have to remember at all what we talked about in chapter 2 so far? No? It's okay if you don't. Because um, I don't really remember exactly what was. I mean, I can look at my notes, but... <clears throat> So here's where we are. We've been talking, you know, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians. And uh, the first, the first, in the first chapter, and as we move forward, we begin to learn about um, the, the spiritual blessings we've been given in Christ. And then we, tra- and then we begin to talk about the, the three things that the Apostle Paul prayed that we would have. Remember, in, at the end of chapter one, he, he begins to pray for the church 
in Ephesus, and he, he prays that they would um, be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of, of God, and that they might know uh, a couple of things, and I'm pulling them up here. Um, oh, it's in chapter one, so I wouldn't be able to find it. But anyway, that they might that they might know the surpassing greatness of God's power is the last thing that we the, God's power that has been unleashed in us. And then we go. Then we move to chapter two, and we begin to talk about who you used to be and who you are. And the difference between those two. We talked about the power of sin in the beginning of chapter two and, and the way that it takes people down. And then we hit this beautiful verse in, you know, in, but, in, in verse four where it says, but God. And, and we get to talk about the things that God has done in us, for us, and is doing through us as we move forward in Christ. And that, and that portion ends with Paul saying, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. You know, that God is the one who is at work in us even now to make us like himself, to release his kingdom through us, to, to uh, change who we are. He's constantly working. And now we'll pick up in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed by the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay, so understand when we stand before we come to Jesus Christ as Gentiles. Is anybody in here Jewish or have Jewish heritage? Or do you know? Some of you may, and you just aren't aware. Um, I just thought I threw that out there. I had no idea. But uh, even people who, like, up until two or three generations ago were Jewish families, a lot of them kind of stepped away from that identity, a lot of changed their names, etc., because of the persecution against the Jewish people. And so there's actually a lot of Jewish people walking around that don't even know that that's their heritage. Um, but... As Gentiles, which I guess is all of us, um, uh, we were uh, uh, separate from Christ, excluded from Israel, strangers to the promise. We had no hope and no way to access God. That's who you are before salvation. That's pretty bleak, right? I mean, you probably, how many of you even, how many of you have been saved for a short enough amount of time that you still have a pretty good understanding of what it was like to live outside of Christ. Okay. That's who you were. Yeah, well, you may not have known it. You may not have had any understanding that that was how, who you were, but that is who you were. You were separate from Christ. You were excluded from Israel. You were strangers to the promise of God, and you had no hope and no access to God. Zero. Nothing. And then we get to verse 13. But now in Christ, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You used to be a long way away, completely separate from God. You had no connection with him at all. And the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that brings us from there to here. And now... 
in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off. Can I just say that? Formerly were far off. You are not far away from God anymore. The blood of Jesus Christ brought you close. It's really important to understand, number one, you didn't bring you close. You didn't do that. You didn't do that. You are not the one. You don't bring you close. God brought you close. because By the blood of Jesus, he brought you close. <clears throat> and you are not far away now. now. There are times, there are definitely times, where we feel a long way from God. Where like We just kind of feel an absence of the presence of God, or we walk through a time that feels really dry, like feel like, we pray and it just bounces off the ceiling. You know, it's like there's the, there's just no connection. Uh, maybe you, you try and worship and it just doesn't happen. I, I want to tell you the truth. You might feel that way, but you are not far from God. You are close to him still. Your relationship with God, your, your closeness or farness from God has already been decided. You are hidden with Christ in God right now. You're seated in heavenly places at the right hand of God right now in this moment because you have given your life to Jesus Christ. That's who you are. That's where you are. And then you might walk through seasons that you feel like, boy, I really feel a long way away from God. You aren't. By the way, if you do feel you're a long way from God, that isn't because God is like not allowing you to feel him. I know that there, there are a lot of people out there that would say that, that God does that. I don't think that's biblical. I think he brought me close. Why would he want me to think I'm far away? That doesn't make sense. And uh, I was in prayer a couple years ago, and the Lord said to me, uh, if there's distance between you and me, Josh, it's your distance, it's not mine. You have shut yourself down. You've closed your heart off. I didn't do that. And so I don't like a lot of the songs. Like one of the songs that we sang, I think this last Sunday was, Open up the heavens, we want to see you. I, I think that's a great song, and I've led it several times. But theologically, I completely disagree with it. Heaven is open. It's earth that's closed. Now, I think we can express that reality. We want to see heaven. We want to see earth opened by saying, open up the heavens. I don't think that, the, that we're like singing heresy. But, I, but I, don't, I don't want anybody to ever think that the problem is God just doesn't want to come and be with us. That's not, never the problem. The distance is in us. The distance isn't with God. God has done everything he could possibly do to come to you, to bring you close, to find you. He chased you down. He, you're, you have sinned against him. You have put your giant middle finger up, again, up at him your entire life, and God is still after you. So do you really think that when you go to pray, God's going, no, I'm not talking to you. Really? Do you think that's, no, that is a stupid view of God that is not informed by Scripture. It is how it feels sometimes. But understand, our emotions do not bring us truth. Emotions are not bringers of truth. They are chemical reactions to outside stimuli. That's what emotions are. We gotta that's why 
now that you guys are embarked on this Daniel fast and you haven't had very much sugar in your system and you're beginning to get hangry, right? Do you know sugar affects your emotions, right? Think about it. Coffee affects your emotions. Now, if your emotions are bringers of truth and you're happy right now, you know, you're happy because you just had, you know, uh, a, you know, a big latte or something was full of sugar and caffeine and you're like, Woo, I feel good. You know, that all the, the only truth that's bringing to you is that you have high levels of sugar and caffeine in your system. That's the only truth that it brings. We cannot understand our world based on how we feel. We can't understand our relationship with God based on how we feel. We can't do that. And I know in Pentecostal and charismatic circles, we really like to do that. Now, at the same at the same time that I say that, I don't want to negate emotion and say that it doesn't matter because it does. It absolutely matters, and God absolutely cares how you feel. But you need to go to the Word and you need to go to Him to get the under to get the real truth, and then fight in your emotions to line your emotions up with the reality of the truth. And do you know that you can change your emotions? You really can. Now, there are people that walk through like places of clinical depression where they have serious chemical imbalances in their bodies and it's very difficult for them to fight their way to cheerfulness or happiness or anything. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just normal human emotion. You have a measure of control over how you feel. That's called attitude. Okay? You are, you get to engage with your emotions on whatever whatever level you want. And if you're feeling crappy, you need to start speaking to your soul. That's what I love about David when he says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? It, you know, and He begins to say, Look, emotions, you're not lining up with the truth of God's word right now, and I'm tired of it. I'm sick of feeling this way. So I am going to remind you, soul, I'm going to remind you, emotional part of my being, that God is really, really good. I'm going to remind you, emotional part of my being, that God has never let me down. I'm going to remind you, emotional part of who I am, that God is for me and not against me. And he begins to turn the tide of his emotions to where, you know, once you get two-thirds of the way through the psalm, he's rejoicing in the Lord as God, right? And, and he does, that's almost every psalm that... Most of the Psalms are just David trying to get himself out of a depressive rut. That's true. I, that's how I feel about it. it start, he starts off whiny and complaining, and then at some point he makes this turn. But I will see the, you know, the Lord of the land of living. He just, because he just makes this flip. What I love about that is, first of all, it's okay to be completely honest with God about how you feel in any particular moment. That's totally cool. God is, he already knows, first of all. And second of all, he wants you to be open and honest with him. And God, this sucks. That is totally okay. You are allowed to have that conversation with him. One of my favorite, like, uh, I had this, this worship leader friend who we were in this awesome worship time. And, and <laughs> the presence of the Lord was all over the place in the room. And this guy was like former druggie. Just kind of space cadet, but he was a great worship leader, and and a, and a, and he was a great. He wrote some great songs, and but we get to this place in worship where God is just everywhere, and he goes, Ah, 
God just does not suck at all. On the microphone. Like, there's 100 people in the room. Wow, God just does not suck at all. And we're all like, we all just like start laughing. And he goes, let's just sing a song about that. Can we just make up a song about that right now? How God doesn't suck, you know? I don't know how it would go. And then he just kind of like stops and he puts his arms out like this. And he says, life is so crappy without you. And he starts singing this, you know, and the whole congregation is, and he's like, come on, sing with me. Life is so crappy without And then we're all just like, <laughs> but he gets it, man. You know, it's like, I'm going to come to God as who I am. I'm not going to come to God like, and dress it up. You guys know the people that pray and they like all of a sudden become like British people when they pray. <laughs> I mean, it. have you, have you, have you, have you heard these people? Okay. Well, there was a guy, I remember when I was a kid, there was one particular elder that we used to do this thing and actually dad kind of did it on Sunday where he said, if you're sick at all, just step into the aisle and, and the elders will come up the aisle and anoint you and pray for you. And there was this one particular elder that had like, he was almost always the, the far aisle over there by like the youth section where we would always sit. And, and, uh, <coughs> and I wouldn't step into his aisle because if he prayed for me, it was, all, this guy was, he doesn't go to this church anymore. He's like lives in, uh, southern part of the country. But he was kind of a hick. And so when you talk to him, he had this kind of like high nasally voice and, and, a, and this like southern drawl. And, and that was just who he was, except when he prayed. And when, you would, when he would pray for you, it would be, Oh, great and awesome God. <laughs> and I'm like, what is, what, who are you, man? <laughs> it's like, his, his, you know, apparently his gift is the Brit- is a British accent or something. I don't, I don't know. When he received his heavenly language, it was a British accent. <laughs> no, it was weird, man. He was, I loved this guy. He was, his, great and awesome God, I come before thee. The problem was, how do you keep yourself from laughing as you pray? Now, during the renewal, that wasn't a problem because people would start laughing for absolutely no reason. And, and, you know, when the Holy Spirit would come upon them and holy laughter would sometimes happen. And so people would just like fall on the ground and laugh for like three hours. So it was a pretty awesome experience, actually, you know. Um, but, but you know, it was just like, how do I not make fun of you when you're praying for me like that? And I love the guy. I think he's a great man. But I didn't want him to pray for me. Anyway. (laughs) What I love about David in that place is how real he is. And he makes no attempt to kind of dress up how he feels or who he is. But he's going to use the place of prayer to turn him from despair to joy. And he's going to use the place of worship to realign his own heart with the reality of, who God is and what God is doing and what God has done for his life. Because truthfully, people of God, we have nothing to complain about. We have nothing to worry about. We only have hope in front of us. We only have beautiful things in front of us. The worst possible thing that can happen to a human is that they get killed. And that is the best possible thing that could happen to a Christian. I mean, think about that for a minute. You know, anyway... 
We'd, there's only good news from here on out for us. I mean, that's just the truth. Bad things are going to happen. There's going to be moments that really hurt. I'm not saying those aren't, those aren't there. But the, all things are, being, are working together for the, for the good of those that love the Lord and called according to his purpose. That's real. So even the worst, the most painful things that take place in our lives is still God being really good to us. And none of that was true before we came to Christ. None of that was real. Prior to coming to Christ, all you had was bad news. Your life was just going to get worse until you died when it was going to get even worse, much, much, much worse. And now you've come to Christ, your life might not be great for the next, who knows, 70 years, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden it's going to get unbelievably better forever. Do we really have anything you know, think about what the transition that has happened. We went from the road to hell, and now we're on the road to heaven. We went from cast outs, people who are far from God, who had no hope, no connection to any promise, no reason to think anything good was coming to us. And now the, the, the one who has all things has given us his son, and will he not give us all things also? I mean, Think about this. We went from being orphans in the universe, and now we are the son and, and daughter of the king of all the universe. There's not, a, there's not a sad ending to any of our stories. Come on, people. Wake up. This is a beautiful, amazing thing, and that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. He himself, um, in Christ, you who were formerly a long way away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Also, this, this word far off, that is how the Jewish people of this time talked about Gentiles. So in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, when Peter says, this promise is for you, your children, and all who are afar off, he was talking about the Gentiles in that sermon, specifically. And everybody in his audience understood that, but we don't get it because we don't understand the euphemism. Does everybody know what a euphemism is? <laughs> it's like a colloquialism, except different. Does that help? <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a, a, a saying, it's a phrase that people use, that everybody understands what it means. But if you actually looked at the, at the words in the phrase, it wouldn't make any sense. It's like, well, you know, he's gone off the deep end, which means he went crazy, <laughs> right? But... Nobody that doesn't speak English, they'd be like, what in the world does that mean? He's gone up. Is he in a pool? Is he... Explain that to me. You know, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Okay, anyway. That's a euphemism. Try and use it in a text message today or something. Um, is everybody okay? We have been sugar for like 10 hours, Okay, so stand up and, like, you know, shake yourselves off. And, come on, let's go. All right, all right. Okay, all right. If you need it, if you're glazing, then you need to get up and move around a little bit. Get some blood flowing. What if I do that on a regular daily basis? You're basically just a Krispy Kreme, Mare. It's just, you're just glazed. You're just glazed. Okay. <laughs> it's only been 10 hours. You don't miss it yet. You just think you do. <laughs> Let me talk to, talk, talk to me. Talk to me. Talk to me tomorrow when you've been. 
been away from processed sugar for 24 hours and your body starts freaking out. Anyway. All right, verse 14. I don't care. He's, he's good. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Check this out. This right here is the verse that we need to talk about when we start thinking about racial reconciliation. Because that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. We had two groups of people that were very prejudiced toward one another. We've got the Jewish people and we've got Gentiles. Jewish people regularly referred to Gentiles as dogs, as less than human, as, you know, sub, like a subspecies. They did not think of Gentiles as, you know, being equal with them. They felt like they were some other, you know, whatever. We are God's chosen people and everybody else is just whatever. And the Gentiles really hated the Jews and a lot of Gentiles to this day still really hate Jews. And, you know, they, the, the Romans were extremely racially prejudiced against Jewish people. Very, very much. They really hated Jewish people a lot. And there was often, you know, the, the Holocaust that we think about in World War II was just the biggest of the persecutions against the Jews that had happened in history, but it was not by any means the first. Uh, and there are some people that don't even know that it was the worst. It may not have even been the worst. Um, the Jewish people have been uh, hated by Gentiles for, for, you know, as long as we can go, as far back as we can go. The, the, that's just the way it's been. And of course it has. What did you, you know, what, who are the Jewish people? They are God's chosen people. They're God's method for bringing Messiah into the world. Now, if every culture, every other culture other than Judea, the Jewish culture, was basically founded and controlled by Satan, do you not think that he would stir up hatred against the people who are going to bring the Messiah into the world? Does that not make sense? Why? Let me ask you a question. Why did the Holocaust happen? Jesus already came. So what was the point? Why is there still, to this day, this massive hatred against the Jewish people? Think uh, for a minute. Because of Ah, you're close, but no cigar. Think, think about Jesus. Think about, I think it's Matthew 24, maybe 25. I can't think right now. Jesus walk. he stands on the Mount of Olives and looks over Jerusalem, and he makes a promise. You know what his promise was? No, but that's a promise he made. I don't, did he make that on the Mount of Olives? He might have. This is before his death and resurrection. I just, 
Before his death and resurrection, Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives and said that he would not return to Jerusalem again until there were Jewish people in Jerusalem saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, Jesus' second coming requires Jewish people in Jerusalem asking Jesus to return. Now, if you're Satan, and you really don't want Jesus to come back. What's your play? Kill, Kill the Jews. Right? And if you thought Hitler was bad, wait till Antichrist comes on the scene. Okay? Because the Bible says Satan knows his time is short. So he has got to stir up the people of the world to kill the Jewish people now. Or at least all the Jewish people that would say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and invite Jesus to come back to Jerusalem. You have to destroy them. That is why God has to mark 144,000 Jews at the end of time and keep them protected. And it will be the 144,000, so in a way you were right, who stand in the city of Jerusalem and invite Jesus to return to Jerusalem on the last day of the, the age of this world. So that's why... The world hates Jewish people because Satan hates Jewish people because Jewish people are the key to the second coming of Jesus Christ. That makes sense, doesn't it? It's kind of a crazy thing to think about, but it's real. So anyway, that's kind of, that's a little side topic, but think about that a little bit. And maybe this year, Nathan and Sophie will have me do another prophecy day. I don't know, maybe not. We spent an entire day last year just plowing through the book, books of book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. So, did you guys have fun? I thought it was fun. It was a long day, but it was fun. And then we had end of the world snacks. That was cool. We had bugles for the trumpets. And we had I brought the bulls of wrath, which was hot salsa. And, we had a candle that had Jesus and then a bunch of marshmallows around it. It was like what? Jesus coming in the clouds. You don't remember that? That's yes, I do. I remember that. <laughs> Jesus coming in clouds. Good clouds of glory. It was, it was really. <laughs> anyway, it was fun. We had a good time. Anyway, let's move on. Okay. So in verse 14, it says, He himself is our peace, who made both one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Jesus came in, and he made it possible for all people, both Jew and Gentile, to enter into the promises of God. Prior to Jesus' coming, the promises of God were only for the Jewish people. They were God's chosen people, and, and nobody else was involved. Now, there, was, there were non-Jewish people that would convert to Judaism, become Jews. But they had to become Jews. They had to be circumcised and follow all the, all the dietary laws and the whole thing. And uh, the Apostle Paul says, now there's no more Jew or Gentile. Jesus came in and he made all of us one by his blood. Okay, It says he broke down the dividing wall. And that's what's so amazing about the cross. The cross has made us one, okay, because we're all sinners and the cross destroyed sin, 
We are now equals, all of us, every race, every tribe, every tongue. It doesn't matter. Every culture can come to the cross at the same level. Nobody has a head start on, on salvation. We all have to come to the cross. We all have to put our own lives on the cross and give our sins to Jesus so that they will die with him. And then we can all be resurrected and be the sons of God. Remember, ladies, you're the sons of God and guys, we're the bride of Christ. So it's going to be okay. Um, it's real. It's fun. One of my favorite things that, that I always, it is, it's, it's cool. You know, I, uh, one of my favorite things that I always, that I always kind of critique is when people are like doing the repeat after me prayers and altar calls. And when they say, and make me your, like somebody will say, you know, forgive my sins. And then like my dad would always say, make me your son or daughter. And people are supposed to repeat that. And everybody repeats son or daughter. They don't repeat son and, or daughter, depending on what gender they are. They just, and make me your son or daughter. Well, which one are you? <laughs> you know, you're either a son. It's like God gets to decide now. Like you're you're going to be my son and you're going to be my daughter. No, it's not like that. But anyway, that's why I usually, when I do that, when I pray those kind of prayers, I usually say, and make me your child. Because then it's not gender specific. We're good. Make me your child or grown up. Wait. Yeah, I don't. I don't it just it's stupid stuff like that. For instance, okay, I'm going to tell you a secret that is going to ruin you for my for my dad's preaching forever. Are you ready for this? Oh gosh, it's going to be awesome. Okay, every single time my dad preaches, he will use this joke. He will say. How many of you are this? And when nobody answers, he'll say, both of you. Yeah. Yeah. Every he Sunday. He did it today. <laughs> he did it today. <laughs> All the time. Every single time. It's the joke he uses every time he speaks publicly. I don't know. I, think, I wonder if it's like Samson's hair. Like if he stopped doing that at the anointing. You know, it's like <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. Relax. But I just... I just like my wife and I joke about this, and so I'll just look at her and be like, and say it with him, like, you know, just like because he does that every single time. Anyway, I have little things about each staff member that kind of drive me a little crazy, and I'm sure those things exist for me too, and I'm just blind to them. But like when Pastor Barry, he when he makes the contraction of, uh, you know, you and Will. Or we and will, it always becomes your or were, and it's never wheel or shield or it's, it's always becomes, and that just drives me crazy. Instead of saying we'll do that, he'll say we're do that. And, and I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he do that? He totally does that. Yeah. And it drives me crazy. And then Don Williams, who used to be one of our pastors on staff here, he always would say, along beside, which is like a double, like it's redundant, you know? He said, we're going to come along beside you and, no, 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 alongside or beside, not along beside. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, it's just little things like that that just drive me crazy. And uh, we're not talking about the Bible at all right now, but uh, what? You're on the None of them listen to my podcast. If they did, they would have talked to me about it a long time ago. Um, <laughs> they would be like, what? 
You believe you're you're a post-tribulation? Yeah, I am actually. Thanks. Okay. Verse 14, he himself is our peace. He's made both groups into one and broken down the dividing wall. Jesus brought us into himself. Okay, that's how he made us one. We have become one with Christ. Is that a crazy thing to think about? I mean, think about that for five seconds. You have been made one with Jesus. The son of the living God. The uncreated God. You have been made one with You've been joined to him. And in that, we have become one. All of us. Every race, every tribe, every... Now, as far as we can tell, in the in, in heaven, um, culture still exists. That's how John could say there's people here from every tribe, nation, tongue, because people looked like they came from the culture they came from. So the culture apparently still exists, but we're still made one in Christ. We've been brought together. We've been brought and, and connected. My, my, uh, my youth pastor always had an interesting way of putting things. And he's like, we're not black, we're not white, we're not yellow, we're not, we're all just red from the blood of Jesus. I'm like, oh man, I don't know. <laughs> but he, the point was right. Okay, <laughs> Dude, don't even start. <laughs> I'm just saying. That, that's, I was just, that was a direct quote from my youth pastor. Okay? I know, right? It's, uh, anyway. Did you ever sing Jesus loves little, Jesus loves little children and change all the colors of, you know, in, in, you know? I've only ever heard that when I started to cute. That was the first time I heard that. I saw it. It's like red and yellow, pink and green were the cutest things you've seen. Red, yellow, light, and white were the way you put the Ow! What'd you say? <laughs> so that's the first time I ever heard it. I was like, that's ridiculous. What'd you say? Huh? What did you say? For the TV box, the uh, little plug colors are red, yellow, colors. black, and white, and that's the order you put them in. So they sing the song. <laughs> I don't know. I remember Penny and Gloria uh, doing that. So. <laughs> All mankind has been joined at the cross. Okay, verse 15. Shh. I got you all singing Jesus Loves Little Children now. I haven't heard it in a long time, and it's because it's like crazy racist. <laughs> it just, it's just uncomfortable for people in our red and yellow, black and white, you know. And, and like people are going to be like, yeah, what race is yellow? I don't know. Don't look at me. We're gonna move on. <laughs> Verse 15, all right. Now, this is how Jesus made us one, all right? This right here, this is how Jesus made us one. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity. That's a, that's a good word. What's enmity mean? Anybody? Enmity. It is spelled E-N-M-I-T. 
Y. E N M enmity. It, me it really means hostility, is what it means. I'll use it in a sentence by abolishing his flesh the enmity. So it means hostility, is what it means. It's, it's the, basically the same thing. It's it's what makes you someone's enemy. Think em enmity, enemy, enemy, right? Frenemy. Okay. Um, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that he, in himself, he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Okay, the barrier between Jew and Gentile was the law. Jesus came in and fulfilled the law. And removed that barrier between Jew and Gentile. Now Jew can no longer say they're more, they are better than, than Gentile. They can't do that anymore. Because now the law is not, which it never was how we got right with God, but now it, it no longer is. Okay, Jesus came and fulfilled the law and removed that barrier. So that in himself he might make the two into one new man, establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body, his body, to God, through the cross, by it having put to death, and here's that word again, enmity, hostility. Okay? No one gets to boast about the law anymore. That's the point. Nobody gets to be the one, well, you know, I got a leg up on you because I know the law. Well, no, you don't get to do that anymore. We have entered into a new covenant. That's what New Testament means. This word, it means a new covenant. It's a new age. And the way things operated before no longer exists. And, the, and, and there is a new way that we approach God now, a way that has never existed before the cross, and now it does. Okay, Jew and Gentile have been fused into one. Christ. The ground is level at the cross. Have you ever heard that? The ground is level at the cross. It just, which actually, if you've ever been to, it's not level at all. It's like rocky. And, but <laughs> the idea is that everyone comes to the cross the same, condemned by their own sin. Nobody's better than anybody else. When we come to the cross, we come as broken sinners condemned to an eternity of damnation. That's who we are before the cross. And after the cross, everything changes. But when we come to the cross, we're no better than anybody else. It's the cross of Christ that makes us the same. We're just as guilty and just as loved. We're all just as saved and none of us get to boast. Isn't that awesome? Billy Graham is not better than you. The Apostle Paul is not better than you. He stands in the same grace that you stand in. That should both relieve you and call you to greater purpose. Because these men were given the same gift that you've been given, and that is relationship with God, salvation for your soul. The question is, what are you going to do with it from here? They aren't better than you. They needed grace just as much as you did. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access. Oh, wait a minute. Did I skip one? Yes, I did. Verse 16. 
and might reconcile them both. Oh, no, I didn't. Verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, peace to, peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Okay? Through Jesus, we've been given the Holy Spirit. He is the, the sign of our inheritance, which is to come. And we've been given, via the Holy Spirit, access to Abba, to our Father, the Daddy God. There is a book which is really great by John Piper called God is the Gospel. And the whole thrust of that book is this. The good news of the gospel is that we get God. That's why the gospel is good news. It's not that eternal gulf is good news. You know, we're not just, it's not, heaven is not the good news of the gospel. I mean, we kind of sell it that way sometimes. You know, streets of gold and, and, you know, we get to see all of our loved ones that have passed and all that's true. But the, the true, the real good news of the gospel is that we get God. The streets of gold, that's just icing on the cake. Getting to see those that have passed before us, that's all just icing on the cake. The true good news is unhindered, eternal, expand, eternally expanding access into the glory of God forever. That's, that's the good news. We have been separated from God forever until the cross. And now we have unhindered, eternally expanding access to the glory of God forever. That is amazing. The one thing that can truly satisfy us is God. The one thing that our spirit hungers for more than anything else is experience of the glory of God. And now we get it and much more. But wait, there's more. We also reflect the glory of God forever. And we become trophies of grace from now until eternity that Jesus will show us off to the powers and principalities in the heavenly realms and say, see, this is what I'm like. Is that insane? But it's beautiful. We're going to get there in a little bit, actually, because that's next chapter. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's own household. You are of God's own household. You get to go and get whatever you want out of God's fridge. You get to drive God's car. God has a sweet car, by the way. I don't know what it is, but I'm just saying. You know when you go over to a friend's house and you're like always kind of afraid to like touch anything because it's not your house, you know? But then you go to your house and you're totally comfortable. You can just touch whatever you want. I, uh... My son and I, Aiden was with me, and we went over to my parents' house. Uh, and my parents were out, you know, doing something, and they were going to be coming right back. But we had about a half hour that we had to wait. And so uh, we were sitting in the van. I said, well, let's just go in, and, you know, we can grab a snack or whatever. And Aiden goes, what? I said, we'll just go in and grab a snack, you know, a pop or something. He goes, I feel weird. I said, why? It's Grammy and Grandpa's house. It's like, yeah, but I feel like an intruder. 
Aiden, I lived in this house for like 20 years. This is not this is not a big deal. I am their son. You're their grandson. You're, you're allowed to have anything that's in there. He goes, I just feel like an intruder. And, and I said, just come on. And we went inside and I, you know, we both got some Pepsi or something. We're sitting, we're watching Alaskan Mountain Men or something because that's the kind of thing Aiden likes to watch. And, and, and the whole time, Aiden, like any time like something would happen, he'd be like, are they here? And I'm like, dude, will you relax? <laughs> this is my mom and dad's house. It's not a big deal. It's okay. He's like, I just feel like an intruder. He kept saying that. He said, intruder Aiden, intruder Aiden. <laughs> because it was my house the whole time I grew up, but it wasn't his. And it doesn't feel like his house, you know? We are welcome in God's house. We're his kids. So any kind of like stiltedness or weirdness about when we come to God for anything, about anything, this is what I talked about a couple weeks ago. When did I preach last? Was that just last week? I don't remember. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was a couple days ago. Wasn't it? <laughs> it just feels like a long time ago. But it, that's what I was talking about was we're his kids. We should not feel awkward about talking to him about anything. We should not feel awkward about asking him anything. We should not feel awkward about asking him for anything because we're his kids. He really loves you. And it's cool. I love this. He says, you're no longer strangers and aliens. So I just kind of broke to no longer strangers. I love that. You're not a stranger to God anymore. It means you're not alone. You're not on your own. You're not an outcast anymore. You're not the little guy, the broken guy, the poor guy. You're not a stranger to him anymore. You are his child, his son or daughter. You're one of those. You're not both. You're not a stranger anymore. You belong to him. And he, you live in his house. You guys know Sufjan Stevens at all? Anybody? Sufjan Stevens? Well, I don't know what they're doing. They, you guys need to you need to start listening to him. He's this brilliant musician. But there's this song. He is a Christian, but not all of his songs are. are some of his music is is Christian. This song is. It's called Vito's Ordination Song, and and there's the chorus of it says says sleep in my or uh, how's it go. Well, the second line, I don't remember the first line. The second line says, sleep in my bed. There is a design for everything I've done. And, it, and, it's, like, and it's like, what? Like the first time you hear it, you're like, because it's supposed to be God singing over this guy. And, it, and, and he says, sleep in my bed. And I'm like, whoa, that's a little weird. <laughs> but my kids do not hesitate to crawl into my bed in the middle of the night. You know, Lily does it all the time. She thinks it's hilarious. Because she'll crawl into bed in between my wife and I and then just, like, kick me out of my own bed. Like, you know, she, like, puts her back up against Rachel and then her feet are just constantly kicking me until I finally say, forget this. And I just get out and I go sleep in her bed. <laughs> because I just can't do it anymore. That happened last night. Okay? So I'm not, I'm not kidding. You know? As, think about it. When you were kids, didn't you like it? Was no big deal to, for you to just go and, and lay in your mom and dad's bed, right? I mean, it just it wasn't awkward at all. You just did that, right? 
you know. What? Sufjan, S-U-F-J-A-N. But in the song, he says, sleep in my bed. And he's talking about this. And, and, and I think that that line is meant to jar you a little bit. Like, what? Like, sleep in God's bed? I don't know. I don't get it. The point is, that's how intimate things are supposed to be between us and him, where it would not be a big deal for us to just crawl into bed with him. We're not strangers anymore. We're his kids. Citizens with the saints, fellow citizens with the saints. We stand next to Abraham, Elijah, Moses, David, Peter, John, James, Paul, and we belong in that lineup. We belong with those people. Those are our people. That's who, that's us. That's who you are. You, you belong in that list. I know it doesn't feel that way most of the time, but it's true. You belong in that list. God's household, the royalty of the universe, that's you. It's messy. But that's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for us. He welcomed us into the royal family of the universe. It's, it's where we belong. And Jesus would have no problem putting you on that list. Well, see, there's Apostle Paul, and then there's Dinesh Rek, and then there's... He does not have a problem with that. You belong in that list. You're his kids. When people talk to me in my office or whatever, they will say things like, well, you know, I'm not on your level, whatever. And I'm just like, don't you ever say that to me again. Because that is a gigantic load of bullcrap. That is Satan telling you you're a second-class citizen in the eyes of God, and it's not true. You are his child, and he adores you. And he doesn't think any differently of you than he does of Apostle Paul or Pastor Ron. You're on the same level. You have different assignments, sure. But you're on the same level. God's not more pleased with them than he is with you. He loves you. He delights in you. That's huge. Verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Okay. The chief cornerstone was the first stone they would lay in the building. Okay. It was, it's where the building began. And they would put it down first. And what that thing did was it outlined where the house, the, the space the house is going to fill. Imagine like, okay, you put it down. And all of a sudden, this side of that stone is the, the, the way that that entire wall, no matter how big it is, is going to line up with this side of that stone. And then the other wall, no matter how big it is, is going to line up with that side of that stone. 
and the and the wall that connects to it on the other has to be perpendicular with the side of the stone. It's going to be hidden once the walls are built, but it's still there, and it has to be square. Everything has to be square with the cornerstone, or else the whole building will fall apart. That's what it's saying is, Jesus is the one who set the boundaries for this house. And if we're not lined up with him, we are not, we're, we're going to cause damage to the structure of the house. None of us is Jesus, obviously. But if we're not lined up exactly with him, the whole house will fall apart because that he is the cornerstone and we have to be aligned with him. One of the things I heard a preacher one time say, any, any Bible idea you find, run it through the filter of Jesus' character and nature, and if it doesn't jive, then the, the, the idea is probably wrong. Why? Because Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus said that he came to show us who the Father was. He came to display the very nature of his own Father. So, Anything you start to think about God, take it back to Jesus, take it back to the Gospels. Look at it and say, oh, that's not how Jesus was, so that's not how God is, because that's the truth. There is this huge thing in the church and in, and in Christianity all over the place where we honestly feel like God is really ticked off at our sin, but Jesus has worked it out and it's okay. How many of you have ever felt that way? Like, God the Father's kind of mad at me, but Jesus kind of ran interference for me, so we're good. You know what I mean? Has anybody ever felt that way? You guys, two of you, great. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. I don't tell that joke, because it bugs me. But anyway, haven't you ever felt that way? Like, like the like the anger, you know, God the Father is ticked off and mad because I really screwed things up. But Jesus is kind of going, hey, it's okay. Don't be mad. It's cool. Uh, you know, I'm being Jesus in between you and God the Father. It's fine. Just look at me. It's good. Because God the Father is this mean old man with a gigantic, uh, you know, uh, magnifying glass is just burning the ants, and that's all of us. We're just the little ants, and he's burning them with the magnifying glass, right? That's Isn't that how most people think about God the Father? I don't know. I hope not. I hope that's not true. I hope you guys have a much better understanding of God the Father than that. But a lot of people feel that way about God. And even a lot of Christians are kind of like, I don't know, God the Father's kind of mean. But Jesus is a nice guy. <laughs> and it's just not the way it is. What Jesus did was show us what the Father was like. God the Father loves to forgive. He loves it. He loves to forgive his kids. He loves to extend grace to us. He delights in showing you mercy. That, Oh man, I'll never forget the first time I, I heard that song. Have you ever heard that song? There is a rainbow of mercy around you. Drawing you closer, yes, and then and there's this one line where he says, "You delight in showing me mercy." The first time I ever heard that, I about fell out of my chair, which is straight out of scripture. But just when you sing it, it makes everything better, right? You know, and I was just like, ah! and I just like said, I just want to sing that line forever. You delight in showing me mercy. Oh my gosh, that's so huge. He loves to show us mercy. That is so massive. Think about that for just a second. Because most of the time, when I'm coming to God in need of mercy, I'm going, please don't kill me, please. 
I know, I'm trying to screw it up. I'm sorry. Don't kill me. God would totally be in his rights to kill me, but because of the cross, he doesn't. And he loves to show me mercy. That's why the Bible says that it was his good pleasure to crush his own son. How do those things fit together? Do you think God really enjoyed seeing Jesus on the cross? Absolutely not. But at the same time, it satisfied everything. All of the reasons God had to to destroy us were taken away because of the cross of Jesus Christ. That is so awesome. And now he can freely release his full mercy to all of us all the time because his wrath has already been poured out on Jesus himself. And he loves it. God the Father and God the Son, they're exactly like each other. They are in complete agreement all the time. They don't argue. They say the same thing. They feel the same thing. They think the same thing. But they're not the same person. Explain that to me. I don't, I, I, we're not going to talk about the Trinity right now. I'll pull out Jonathan Edwards and we'll all be done for the rest of the day. Okay. The cornerstone gives the rest of the house its correct place. It sets us in relationship to one another. Not only does it set us in relationship to God, but it sets us in relationship to one another. Because we're all aligned with Jesus, we're right next to each other. Isn't this fun? Think about every block in a brick wall has like six other blocks that touch it. And if any of those blocks were out of alignment with one another or out of alignment with the cornerstone, the wall would fall. That's why unity is so important to God, because this whole thing relies on us all being aligned with Jesus and with each other. It's the way it works. That idea is continued on into verse 21. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In verse 22, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. This is the church. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, Apostle Paul says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that's true. But also we, the entire church, every person in this room that is a follower of Jesus Christ, we are the dwelling place of God on the earth. That's why you're here. If God didn't want a dwelling place for himself on the earth, he would get you saved and rapture you instantly. Because it'd be a lot safer, wouldn't it? Right? But he does. He's desperate for a dwelling place for his own spirit on the earth. And not only that, he's he is desperate for a people who will stand in agreement with his kingdom in the earth. I honestly think prayer is the primary purpose for the earth and the church, for the church in the earth. Releasing the kingdom of heaven on the planet. Every single place that we go. We are the living walking, breathing, dwelling place of the Holy Spirit on the planet. It's an awesome thing. And God can be in full manifestation out of his people, and he refuses to be in full manifestation out of any in any other way. He won't do things without us. He just won't. This is how things work. This is how the kingdom works on the earth in this age. It is through his people through his dwelling place on the earth, and that's you and me. 
Think about the ramifications of that. When you walk into a place, the presence of God walks in with you. Think about that. I try and think about that when I do hospital calls. I try and I'll, I'll like sit in my car right before I just did uh, yesterday. I went to the hospital and, uh, um, and I'll sit in my car and, and say to myself, all right, I am carrying the presence of the healer into that place. Now he's probably already there because there's probably other Christians that are in there, but I, there is still something real happening. When I walk into that room, I am carrying the presence and the authority and the power of the kingdom of heaven into that place. Now, what if you thought about that everywhere you went? How would that change your perspective of a place? I am the one carrying, and just think about it this way. Think, think about if you were the, the only source of oxygen for the people in the world. You just have big oxygen tanks on your back and everywhere you go, you're giving people a breath. And that's the only breath they're going to get. Doesn't that make your presence kind of important? So would it be okay if you spent all of your time gathered together with a bunch of other oxygen bearers? Like, and just breathing off each other's hoses? Like, and that's all we're going to do? I'm not going to go out into the world where the people are that don't have oxygen. I'm just going to stay here and we're all just going to... But isn't that what the church does like all the time? I don't really like hanging out with non-Christians. You're right, because those people don't need to breathe. Those people don't need the, the presence of God in their lives at all. Are you kidding me? That's why I love musicians like Sufjan Stevens who say, I am a person of faith. Some of my music is going to be about Jesus, but not all of it. And I'm going to go out there into the world and I'm just going to make music in the world the best that I can and be a person who is a carrier of the presence of God in the midst of a whole bunch of people that desperately need his presence. That's what I'm going to do. Instead of just making music for Christians. Don't get me started on Christian radio stations and I, this, this whole like Christian counterculture thing that we do where we say, it's just, we're just going to do things for us because we're comfortable there. You know, we want to make, we want to, uh, we want to lift each other up. We want to make each other comfortable. So we're just going to create this own little space over here. Christian art, Christian stuff, Christian culture is all over here. And anybody outside that, that doesn't follow Christ, if they came anywhere near it would be so completely uncomfortable that that you know and and so we're just kind of off in our little ivory tower and the rest of the world is out there going we need a breath what did jesus say you are the light of the world but don't keep the light hidden under a basket why would you do that put it on a lamp so the entire world can so the whole room can see Go out into a place where there is darkness and be light there. I pray that for my kids every day when I take them to school. I pray favor with their friends and their teachers. I pray that they learn the things that they're supposed to learn today. And I pray that they would be a light in a dark place. And this morning, my seven-year-old says, what does that mean? I said, there's a bunch of people in this school today that don't know who Jesus is and they don't know that he loves them. And you, it is your job to tell them. And he just kind of looked at me like, 
well, that's going to ruin my day. And then got out of the truck and walked into the school. <laughs> he looked at me like, what? <laughs> He's seven. But I'm glad he asked. That's who you are. You're the only source of oxygen that some people will ever have. Are you keeping it from them or not? When I was a kid, I'll end with this. When I was a kid, and I was just getting fired up about God, and I was so in love with Jesus, and God was, was in the midst of the renewal, and there was crazy awesome stuff happening, and the presence of the Lord was like my entire universe. Um, they used to refer to me and my friends as altar vultures because we just, wherever God was doing anything, we wanted to be there. We wanted to be a part of it. We wanted to be like, so if the Holy Spirit was moving, like if people in one, on one side of the room were getting hit by the Holy Spirit, we would just get up and walk over there. You know, I don't know that, you know, where you are in the room has anything to do with it, but if it does, we were just going to make sure we were there. I'm, this is not a joke. Because what you got to understand is during the renewal time, the Holy Spirit would fall on like a section of the room sometimes, like, or it would move across the room like a wave. Like, he would just, I remember seeing this one time. We were in a prayer meeting and I, and, and the Lord said, watch. And I saw in the spirit, I saw the Holy Spirit move across the room like a wave like this. It was a crescent shaped, <coughs> kind of like what we have now. And I watched the Holy Spirit move across the room like this. And as that kind of wave would like hit a certain area, people would either fall out or start just like moving erratically. Like it was this, it was really weird. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And I had just enough time to think, what's going to happen when it hits me? Ah! And, and like then um, I think I moved erratically until I fell. I think that's what happened. But anyway, it was, I just watched it. I just watched it move across the room because there was this weird thing. And then after that, what did it kind of remind me of? Have you ever seen like a summer storm on the, on the plains, you know, when it moves across? And there's like, it's raining so hard that you see this like gray column coming from the cloud to the ground. That's kind of what it was like. And have you ever watched, like driven into it and like watched the rain just come and then all of a sudden, you know, it's covering it. That's what it was like in the room. And it was... And afterwards, I was, we were all like, what the heck was that? There was probably 50 of us at the, in this prayer meeting. And we're all like, what just happened? Because the whole room just kind of all got up at once. Like, whoa, what was that? And, uh, and my friend comes walking across the room towards me. And, I was, and he got to a certain point in the front of the altar and just fell flat on his face there. And, and starts laughing hysterically, whatever. And, and I'm like, what the heck? So I kind of walked over there, and I said, what? And he goes, I think it's a puddle. <laughs> and he was very drunk in the spirit, so you, just, you say really weird things when you're really... Anyway, am I freaking everybody out? Like, you guys have never seen this kind of thing before? Okay, anyway, but he was completely just... And I said, oh, what? He goes, I think it's a puddle. And as I got within, like, eight feet of him, and then I fell out. Because... For whatever reason, there was just something going on in that like vicinity. And one of my other friends goes, There are puddles, let's find them. And he's they started like walking through the room and like trying to find places where the Holy Spirit was moving. I don't even know if that's biblical. I just know what we experienced. So I, anyway, it's not important. The point is we are the carriers of the presence of God. 
We are the physical location of God. We are his address in the world. We have to be aware of that. We have to be thinking about that everywhere that we go. When you walk into the store, when you walk into the gas station, when you, when you are driving down the street, you have to be thinking, I am now carrying the presence of God into this place. And what's going to happen? I don't know. Maybe nothing. Maybe everything. Who knows? So, yeah. Yeah.